Good morning again. I'll give you another chance. Good morning again, everybody. Good to see you all. So, uh, so pleased to be together, and uh, our kids are slipping out now to have some kid central fun, and uh, we're grateful that God is building the community of children and passing along the story of His mighty work and uh, His beautiful life-changing character and all that He's accomplished to save us, and uh, we're going to look closely today at the same thing in the end of our book of Ruth. And um, I, I'm sure that you've experienced in some way a sense that at times our life feels like a series of disconnected circumstances or coincidences. I don't have any doubt that for most people, um, life can sometimes feel like um, meaningless. It can feel like our um, lives are random. It can feel like it's not just coincidences, but there's all kinds of disconnect. But then at our funeral, whether you know it or not, someone get, gets up and spends a deliberate amount of time documenting how important your life was to them. And by then, I've, I've made this comment observation many times, too late, you don't get to hear it, everybody else gets to hear it, um, but you are unaware, obviously, that you have impacted someone else's life forever because it's done when you're already gone. And so, um, it's hard for us to understand or to see or observe in some way, are we a part of God's plan? Does God do anything on purpose with our lives? Are the circumstances that are occurring in our lives disconnected, meaningless circumstances, or is God knitting them together, whether we see it or not, to help something happen that means something for eternity? And um, it's fair enough for us to ask the question, is God involved with our lives somewhere, anywhere, where we don't see it and we don't know it? And the big question that is asked in the book of Ruth is, how is God involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. And the story of Ruth takes place in a time of judges, a time where God's people were living in rebellion. In fact, it's noted that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Uh, today, we would call that relativism. Everybody was making up their truth, and everybody's truth was equally as valuable as someone else's truth. And you know, your truth can't trump my truth. If that's good for you, it may not be good for me, that kind of thing. They were making up their rule, own rules and doing their own thing. At that time, Israel had no king. At that time, uh, during the book of Ruth, uh, we know that uh, they were being overseen and ruled uh, by judges. But Ruth and Boaz are shining lights of faithfulness to God. And the reason, this is important when you read this story, they are faithful to God because God Himself is faithful to His covenant love. God makes a covenant with His people, and through His faithfulness, He brings along two faithful people, Boaz and Ruth, to make sure that um, He is able to express His loving kindness and to keep His covenant. And Ruth and Boaz are faithful to God precisely because of God's faithfulness Himself. So, um, what happens in the book of Ruth? If you have not read this book, if you don't remember reading this book, if you haven't been with us the last several weeks, or if you, like me, have forgotten everything you heard the last four weeks, here's a question, fair enough. What in the world happened in the book of Ruth? Well, there's a God, and because of His never-resting activity, 
He faithfully works behind the scenes using His hidden hands to bring healing to Ruth, to bring protection to Ruth, to bring security to Ruth. Why is that important? Because Ruth is a foreign widow. She has no power. She has no protection. She's completely vulnerable. She has no way to provide for herself, but she finds love, security, and fulfillment through a wealthy Israelite farmer named Boaz who is faithful to God. He is a rich Israelite bachelor. And all the eligible bachelorettes said? No, you say amen. That's why this is not happening for you. This is why you're behind. This is, this is, this is why you're not. So um, we see Boaz serves as a family redeemer. He redeems the family name of Ruth and he redeems the family property. And he does so at great cost to himself. And he does, by doing that, he restores Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, and restores to her healing. He restores to her fullness and completely changes her life from empty bitterness to a new life of abundance, security, prosperity. And also, we're going to see that she um, becomes more and more famous as God's plan gets to gets to reveal itself. So here we are now at the end of the book of Ruth, the final segment, the final portion of Scripture. Boaz is marrying uh, Ruth, and he's doing so to redeem her from her empty bitterness, to, re- to uh, redeem her and Naomi from Naomi's empty bitterness. And the result of all this was that Boaz now marries Ruth, redeems the land, redeems her name, and succeeded in protecting her and succeeded in providing for his new wife. And, and then he enters into, this is so important, this is so, this is so important, he, by, by redeeming her, by marrying her, he enters into the ancestral lineage of Jesus. He enters in voluntarily at great cost to himself um, by having their first child who they named Obed. So therefore, while the other relative, right, the closer relative we learned last week who passed on marrying Ruth because it was too costly to him and he, it would risk his inheritance and his fortune. And also he would have to kind of give up his name for, um, for Naomi's uh, husband's name, Elimelech's name. Uh, so, so this relative is overly concerned with his own name and his own fortune. Meanwhile, Boaz managed to get his name in the greatest lineage of all time. Pretty cool. Pretty great uh, story. Uh, By the way, Ruth's story also shows us that God used the courage of these two women, Ruth and Naomi, purposefully, and He uses the kindness of one man, Boaz, purposefully to give Israel the king that they needed. So they're kingless, being ruled by judges. They need a king, and through Boaz and Ruth and their marriage, we see that God is able to keep um, and follow through on the plan to give them a king. So now God is graciously using them to continue his plan of salvation through Jesus. And then, just to make this transaction more unusual, right? The whole story is unusual. The whole story is divinely, um, you can see how it's very much purposed and touched by God. Um, The town elders, at the end of their um, marriage, the town elders gather, and this probably happened for your wedding too, the town elders gather in the village and they have a public prayer meeting about you, right? For some of us, it's like, that would be my worst nightmare, my worst nightmare. 
So the town elders, realizing what had happened with Boaz, who was wealthy and influential and well-known, he marries this foreign widow, Ruth, and, and to celebrate, the elders get together, and I'm sure they had all kinds of festivities and festival celebration and so on traditionally, but they also gather together and they basically say, let's pray. Let's pray. And they have a public prayer meeting. And God uses this public prayer meeting to actually reveal to everybody that He had planned this all along. He actually uses their prayer to say, what you are praying is my plan, so it's likely that what they were praying was God's words coming through them, announcing to everyone that this is not a surprise to God, that all along He had been doing this, and now we get to see it and experience it together, and it brings this weightiness to what had just occurred in the wedding. The town elders, and by the way, anyone else that was hanging around the town gate was included in this prayer meeting. And the elders pray a public prayer, and it's full of full dependence. Because that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is basically um, admitting that you're dependent on God. And so publicly they admit that they had been dependent upon God. And you're going to see in this prayer that they're announcing that they've been dependent on God, specifically God's women of purpose. Women who in the culture had no purpose, and ver- or I should say had little purpose and very uh, little significance and meaning compared to the men in the patriarchal culture. But God is saying, I'm validating and using and bringing purpose to these beautiful women who have purpose that come from heaven. And it shows up in their prayer. And then secondly, you see that God has planned all along that Ruth and Boaz would be prosperous. And then thirdly, we get to see in their prayer that all along, God was using these people to keep His promise. All three of these things show up. And what we discover is that in their public prayer, God reveals His plan. God has a plan. Now, I wanted to, um, my hope would be, I know that probably there's a good chance here with water baptism and, and, uh, and, a, and a tailgate lunch together, there's a lot of you who are guests with us and visiting with us, friends and family. Let me say again, Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Looking forward to getting better connected and better acquainted with you. Um, I would love to tell you that the, the kind of message you're going to get today is kind of like one of those Instagram soundbite preacher messages, right? Where it kind of goes in like a snack-sized Snickers ice cream bar. We're like, yes! And then you share it with all your friends and family. You've got to see this and hear this. 30-second little... It's not. It's like a plate of veggies today. It's going to be like a plate of roasted veggies a little bit of seasoning, maybe some garlic and Parmesan on it, a little, hopefully. Okay? So anybody like history? I hope. That's a weird way to say that. What are you supposed to say? I mean, I hope some of you like history. We're going to get some history here. Um, and you know what? This is it's actually, I don't know why this gets me all stirred up, but what we see in this history is that our faith in our rescuing, redeeming Jesus is not a religious fairy tale. It's not just the hopes and dreams of pious people that have just passed along to their kids some fairy tale to go along with Mother Goose. What we're going to see today is that God is a God of history. God didn't just work in history. Listen to this. God caused history. God is the beginning. God is present in the middle at all times for all people in every single way. Imagine this. God has in His mind every thought that was ever... Uh Uh-oh. 
thunk. What's the word? I don't know what the word is. Don't tell me how to fix my English. It's too, it's too overwhelming. I'm kidding. Every single thought that's ever been thought, every possible knowledge that could ever be known and has been known that's yet to be discovered, it is in the mind of God presently at all times. And He launched a plan to bring human beings back to Himself. And in the book of Ruth, we get to see it happen. We get to see it happen step by step with God miraculously has worked with His hidden hands behind the scenes to bring healing to an empty, bitter, foreign widow who ends up going back home. So these final three prayers were answered because they were God's plan all along. Check this prayer out. This is the elders. Imagine um, some of you had a wedding reception. Imagine this wedding reception spilled out into the village streets and everybody kind of gathered around and the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord, here's the prayer, may the Lord make his woman, uh, make this woman who is coming into your home, right? Who's that? Ruth. So far, it's a C. You got a C in history. Who is this? Ruth, right? Uh, make, make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom the nation of Israel descended. So here we see Rachel. Here we see um, Leah. And we're seeing that God is, through this prayer, revealing that Ruth is in a line of women of purpose who are spectacularly important in the lineage of the Scriptures in the Christian faith and in, in redemptive history. So um, she's mentioned that this woman coming into the home will be just like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. And then they pray this, May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Hello, famous in Bethlehem? Are you kidding me? Listen, when are they praying this? centuries, uh, um, generations ahead of time, they're praying, may you be famous in Bethlehem. Who's going to be famous in Bethlehem? We already know. It's coming. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Boaz's family would certainly be famous in Bethlehem because Boaz and his family would join the greatest genealogy in the history of the universe. And it's coming. Now, who would make them famous? And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman. So, through Boaz's descendants, Israel's great king would come. And we know that in these, in these, uh, by, by giving you descendants, that we're going to see something spectacular that happens. And we see it here. Perez, the father of Hezron, or Salmon, was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. So, um, to be in his family line here was pretty thrilling. This is how the chapter ends with the words David. With the word David. Uh, and, and obviously here as the final word, it is the climax. They are anticipating that according to God's plan, there is a king coming and this king is going to be King David. And uh, it's even more significant because it points to Ruth and Boaz's future would, came, would, would um, contain such blessings as to be in a kingly leadership. Ultimately, how we'd be redeemed, ultimately, in the end, by a true and better king who's going to come along after David. So the word, this is important. When we look at this word, um, let's check this word here. When we look at this word descendant, 
we're going to see something really important. And the word descendant here actually means seed. Seed. And what do you get when you get a seed, right? You get something that brings life and it also um, continues on, right? The seed allows the, the DNA or the, uh, um, whatever the genetic uh, item or thing is to continue on. And, we're going to, and, and we see that this word descendant means seed, and it's an important subject, the word seed, in redemptive history. The reference to Leah, Rachel, even Tamar, references the word seed. And it would have made audiences think of a significant woman in the Old Testament which are linked to offspring and descendants. And we have to go back. We go back to Genesis 3. And we see something of which is called by some people the very first gospel. When God is talking about what He's going to do with His enemy in Genesis. And He says something pretty spectacular. He says to His enemy, the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, or her seed, or her descendants. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his feet. And you know what we've been doing since that promise in the book of Genesis? You know what we've been doing? Waiting. We've been waiting for God to send that seed, to send that descendant. When God? And, 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 and here He's sending David. And, and, and during this particular time in history, when they read that, they would have been like, yes, we're going to have a king, and he's going to be great, and he's going he's to rule over Israel at some point. And we recognize that, that King David here would have been the pinnacle of the joy of the people in that culture at that time. But ultimately, we go back to Genesis and we see that God had a plan and what we were waiting for in Genesis wasn't necessarily King David. There was a true and better king that we were waiting for. For when you die and are buried, this is all the way back in Samuel, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your seeds, one of your offspring, uh, by the way, when my kids were young, I used to, instead of calling them children to their face, I would call them our offspring. Try that out. Kids, they love that. They love being called offspring. They try it. They, they're going to seem like they hate it, but they don't. They really love it. Especially when you introduce them. This is one of my offspring. This is Kaylee. Kaylee Josiah. It's so fun having kids. Okay, so... Um, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. And here's what he goes on to say. This is still Samuel, 2 Samuel. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And here's the twist in the plot. Here's the twist in the plot. I will secure his royal throne. How long, everybody? Forever. Forever. For a generation? For a few years? God is saying all the way back, Genesis, I'm going to send someone. There's going to be enmity here between the, the, my enemy and, and the people, but I'm going to send the offspring who's going to absolutely crush the head of this enemy of mine. And we see here in Samuel that God is working to secure the king's royal throne over Israel forever. We're going to get more of this, but my favor will not be taken from him, the king, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me. For how long, everybody? For all time. And your throne will be secure. How long, everybody? 
forever. So this is an all-time plan. This is a forever king that's coming. This is not just someone who's going to fill the throne for a small period of time to bring glory and prosperity and fame to Israel, though that's exactly what David does, King David. We see that God had a divine plan here to work through Ruth and Boaz to bring a family redeemer who does far more than just bring someone who is full of emptiness and shame and hurt back to, uh, to flourishing health. And only readers like us in later generations would know how significant all this was. David was Israel's greatest king, well-revered, certainly famous, but one of his descendants would always rule over God's kingdom, his kingdom people. And Boaz, who selflessly gives up his name, he goes down in history as the great-grandfather of King David. Pretty cool, right? Boaz is the great-grandfather of David. That means Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. So we see this uh, beautiful work here, and we know now who God's family redeemer is. And look what God does. Executing his divine plan, God keeps his promise. He follows through on everything he's promised to keep his plan in motion and to protect his plan. And eventually, our redeemer comes. Our redeemer. Now, for those of you who are new to the Christian faith or aren't quite sure why in the world we would need a redeemer, God's keeping his promise to keep a redeemer because the people that he created, the human beings, are separated from him by their own sin, selfishness, self-reliance, pride, right? Uh, They are not right with God because they look to themselves to rule over their own life instead of looking to God to rule over their own lives. That started with um, uh, Adam and Eve. And so God has this master plan to redeem people like you and I from living for ourselves to submitting to and living under God's rule and authority, His kingship over our lives. And He eventually, through a more extraordinary birth, uh, this beautiful, uh, uh, not beyond the childbearing of Ruth, beyond the barren matriarchs of Israel, we see that God brings His Redeemer. But how can we be so sure? How can we be so sure that Ruth and Boaz had descendants that led to Jesus, right? Because isn't it true that all it takes is a handful of really zealous religious people to write up some phony, fake history, and then before you know it, you've got a worldwide cult? How do we know that this plan continued? How do we know that Boaz and Ruth eventually led not just to King David, but the true and better king who rules and reigns over all history forever, for all time? How do we know that? Well, what if... There's written evidence that God has kept His promise. What if there's written evidence? What if there is an ancient text that has helped us see how this has all gone and it's been documented year after year after year, generation after generation? Look at this record of Hebrew genealogy. By the way, you may have gotten to this part of the Bible. If you started in the New Testament, you turn to the book of Matthew and you go to the first part of Matthew, some of you know what's there, right? It's the genealogy. And you're like, wow, this is not the most spectacular start of a book I've ever read. Why in the world would God put in the Scriptures? Do you know why He would put that in the Scriptures? Because He's linking the plan of the past and His promise of the future. He's linking them together so you could see what was planned at the beginning in the Old Testament, even through Ruth and Boaz and King David and so on, has finally started to happen. And it started to happen not just now, but it's been happening for all time and God's been protecting all of that. 
and providing this, and he's been keeping his promise. So look at this record, if you, if you, if you, if you would. This is the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 all the way to 17. We won't do all 17 uh, together, but let's kind of scan over this, or we're going to fly over the top of this. This is a record of the ancestors of, the G- of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. See how this could could get fun, right? Not as much. And his brothers, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. All right. Got it? Here we are. Now we're at Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. There she is. There they are right in the lineage, right? And then get this. It goes on. And on, and on, ten more verses of who begot who and who uh, led to whoever came next. And on and on it goes until eventually we get to this. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus who was called the Messiah. So through the Virgin Mary in the fullness of time, Christ our Savior, our true and better family redeemer was born. And He does so to redeem the people himself. It goes on, with all those listed above include, check this out, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Now, I know you're loving this number 14 right here because it seems like it's God's number. You don't don't even use it for the Powerball. It doesn't work. Didn't work. (laughs) It didn't work. It doesn't work. So, just pick your numbers. So, from our retro, that's if you don't know what the Powerball joke is, do you know what it is? It was one billion this week. So I, I already know that none of you use the right numbers. I already know that. <laughs> Unless you were in Illinois at a gas station sometime this week. Um, you know what my theory is on that, by the way? I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't do any gambling, but you know what my theory is on one billion dollars of, I mean, almost free money? You know what my theory is? What if God wanted me to have that money? And all I need to do is just spend $9. You know what I'm saying? I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But I always think to myself, how could I justify this? What if God says, Dan, I'm going to do my part. Now you've got to go and do your part. <laughs> do a little gambling. I would share that money so fast. You'd be so thrilled with your pastor. You would be like, I want to be his friend forever. Um, so I want... Keep this, keep this in mind. From our retrospect, from us being able to look back now, we can see that in the bigger picture, God was purposefully and precisely using Ruth to bring about a true and better King, Jesus. Purposefully and precisely. And, through, and, and though oftentimes Israel forgot it, God's plan was never merely to bless their nation, but his plan was always to bless every nation through his nation. Let me say that again. God had always had a plan, not just to bless his nation, but to bless all the nations of the world through his nation. That was his plan from the beginning. And God promised Abraham that his offspring would be blessed and that their offspring, their descendants would bless all the nations, all the world. And that God would do, though, by, do that by establishing a covenant with those descendants. So, um, here we go in Genesis. Here's what God says to Abraham. 
the Lord has said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Now, for those of you who maybe got lost in the timeline, this is way before Boaz and Ruth. This is way before the public prayer where they're like, and God, may they have descendants that are famous. May they bless the world. May they be spectacularly prosperous in your great name. This is way before that. And what God's saying is, what they were praying was a part of my plan from the beginning, and it was launched all the way at the beginning, Genesis. God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So this is a bigger plan than just the plan here for Ruth and Boaz and their descendants. Here, God hardwires into Israel's story by giving the greatest king through a foreign great-grandmother and the nations that were included among David's ancestors. And the book of Ruth is shouting to us not only about God's heart for the nations, but how he takes outsiders who are empty, outsiders who are uh, not a part of the, the main uh, family, and he opens his arms to the outsiders and he brings them in and includes them. And the great blessing is not prosperity. The great blessing is being able to know the creator of the universe and his son, the perfect lamb, the shepherd uh, of our hearts, Jesus. And he takes these outsiders and he makes them insiders. And Christ builds up the house of Israel and he saves God's people and he makes them a kingdom that includes people from every and all nation. Uh, if you ever get a chance to inspect, to investigate, look over and really, really uh, admire other cultures, it does something good for the heart to, to, to see that God intended and plan to include all the nations all the time from the beginning and all their beautiful culture and all of their beautiful um, ethnic diversity that God had used Abraham and his family to start this covenant love and to include everybody through their faith in Jesus. So through Christ Jesus, this is the book of Galatians. Paul writes about this to the church at Galatia. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessings he promised to Abraham. And for those of you who are Gentiles, this is really, really good news. This is really good news. Um, and this, of course, this being made an insider from an outsider has nothing to do with our ethnicity. It has to do with God working in us to bring saving faith, and then we belong to Jesus. So within his rescue plan here, God opens his arms, and he receives the Gentiles, and he receives them into his family. And this is a picture beautifully illustrated by Ruth and Boaz, of, of the way that Jesus um, brings them in. So, so what now? Well, we should pause and ask ourselves. We should pause and ask ourselves, um, do I know this love? Now, it's quite possible that some of you who have heard this are thinking to yourself, I've never really saw myself as worthy of being a part of God's family, or I'm not really religious, I'm kind of an irreligious person, and um, I don't really know how to be religious, and I especially don't know how to be righteous enough to be a part of God's family. I hope you see that what God has done here is He has said to you, well, you start as an outsider, but I've made a way for you, the outsider, to become an insider, and it's not based on you getting more righteous or getting more religious. 
It's based on you opening your heart, believing and receiving the King who is the true and better King who's over all, and that is, of course, I'm talking about our Redeemer, King Jesus. And then He makes you as an outsider one of His insiders. And one of His insiders who literally only has to continue on in your... um, affection for Jesus as it grows because you get to know more and more who He is. So, the question, the natural question then is, have I entered into the most important relationship that God's provided? Have I received this Redeemer? Have I allowed myself by faith to become one of God's insiders through His um, rescue plan? Is my uh, life been transformed by saving faith in Jesus. And if so, you can be encouraged. You can be encouraged. You know, what did Naomi think about her situation? At first, she thought for sure she's being punished, right? You remember her bitter emptiness? She's like, I'm being punished. I've done something terribly wrong. Her suffering leaves her bitter and empty. She's not like, God, thank you for working miraculously through the divine plan from the beginning to make me a part of your loving kindness and your covenant to reach the world and save all the nations. She doesn't say that. She's like, dang it. This is terrible what's happening to me. My life has no meaning, has no purpose. I'm, I'm full, but I'm only full of bitter emptiness. And she doesn't see God at work. You know, it's not too far from how we experience our daily hardships and we're not quite sure God is at work somehow having any meaning or any purpose for some of the hardship that we're facing. And we might even think extreme thoughts like, I know why this is happening. I'm being punished. God is punishing me. I did something wrong. My parents did something wrong. Uh, My family has done something wrong. Somehow, you may feel the way that Naomi did. God's abandoned me. He's forgotten me. He's moved on without me. In the worst case, maybe even God's punishing me. But you can be encouraged today that all of the hardship in your life, all of it, God can be trusted to make it into something that expresses His beautiful glory so that you get to see it. So that somebody is um, a part of what God is doing to bring uh, them to Himself. And eventually she could see. Now we look back and we notice it now. I mentioned at the beginning the funeral. That's usually where everybody's like, oh, my, heart, my life had some value, some meaning, and everybody gets to speak of that value and meaning. But here Naomi can't see it. And normally you and I can't see it. But we can be assured we're getting a reminder here that God's at work. He's making all of the meaningless, disconnected circumstances of our life matter, and He's making them into something special for His own glory and for your good. It's very unlikely that Ruth lived to see her great-grandson become king. Ruth, a foreign outsider at first, brought in by God, who eventually her great-grandson is the king. In many ways, the great point of her life was not realized until well after she was dead. And we have to trust, we have to stand back and we trust that God has made something. He is doing something with our lives that we don't see. My parents were um, very, very young when they decided that they were going to follow God's call into missions. And they never landed on the missions field. They never landed on the missions field. But they did land on the initial church board that planted this church. Some of you may not know that my parents were founding members of this church with the planting pastor, Pastor Leon Miles. 
So they didn't land on the mission field, but they got together here with a couple other, uh, another couple, and they helped start this particular church. And over the years, I learned of this uh, by being with my parents enough to know that in some ways they felt like their life, because they didn't land on a mission field somewhere, was a bit of a disappointment. And that they struggled at times to find really meaning and value in their lives as they lived it. Fast forward to the end of my dad's life. My dad has Parkinson's disease, and I'm visiting my father in the nursing home every Wednesday morning. I have breakfast with him, and he's starting to get dementia at the end of his life, and he's forgetting everything. And when I left, every Wednesday, I would say, Dad, I've got to go. I love having breakfast with you. I'm going to see you next time, but I've got to go off to work. And he would say the same thing every Wednesday. Where do you work? And this is so fantastic. I, I would say to him, Dad, I am the pastor at North Central Church. And every Wednesday, my dad would say, you are? Wow. Wow. And his eyes would get all teared up, all misty-eyed. And then next Wednesday, we'd do it all over again. <laughs> dad, I got to go to work. Where do you work? Dad, I'm the pastor at North Central Church. Oh, you are? It's my church. So, my dad with dementia, not quite able to grasp. But can you grasp that? Can we grasp that? God was at work through disappointed missionaries who didn't make it on the field. Through their offspring, which is hard to say if that's me. <laughs> through their offspring. God was able to plant a seed through them and bring church leadership to a church that's a part of God's gospel kingdom here in upstate central New York that we're an honor to, to be a part of because God is at work building uh, life transformation through His gospel. And though my dad was excited every Wednesday, I think I'm more excited that he was amped up every Wednesday than I am that he actually ever grasped it. But God did something. And it's quite possible that through your life, you don't know it, but God is doing something through your life, and you should be encouraged that He knows what He's doing. He's got a plan, and He always sees His plan through because He keeps His promise. To save your soul, to heal your inner life, to bring you new purpose and joy that comes through knowing Jesus, He keeps His promise. So, um, the next thing you can do is be thankful for that. Be thankful for that. There's a lot in our world to complain about. Have you, you noticed that? It's a lot. And I find myself more and more just these complaints getting dragged out of me. And the only way I can seem to really um, address that is to dwell on all the things that I can be thankful for. And I just, it blows my mind to consider that long ago God put a plan in place. He saw it through. He kept all of his promises so that I myself would know his Jesus and be a part of his family forever. And we imagine, can you even imagine what your life would be like without this plan and without God following through on His promise? Our Redeemer has changed everything. He's changed our identity. He's changed our uh, um, uh, um, fulfillment. He has, in, in fact, changed our status. He's brought us into intimate union with Himself so that we know Him personally and deeply. He's given us present rest and also a future joy, a future hope to know Him and be known by Him. There is a lot to be thankful for. I hope you're encouraged today. Would you pray with me? Um, Father, today, together, 
Um, thank you for all the special work you did to see your plan through. We know that a part of your plan was to save souls who are sitting among us here today, both in person and online. We also know that you are at work bringing hearts to yourself who are not quite there yet. And we pray today, God, that you would stir men, women, children, young people, that you would stir them with saving faith to trust and believe that Jesus is the one who can be trusted to know you and to be made an insider, not ourselves. And church family, I just pray this morning, if you find yourself here feeling like you're on the outside of God's family, it's just faith, the miracle of faith. By God's grace, He'll cross you over into His family as an insider. Believe and receive Jesus today. It's a simple prayer. You simply say, God, I trusted in myself or other things. I'm renouncing that trust and I am resting my wholehearted trust in Jesus, His work, and His work alone. And today you can pray that prayer on your own and belong to God's family. And then have the joy of the present and the, and the hope for the future. And submit your life to the God of all creation. If you pray that prayer on your own today, you can do it here now, you can do it later. Uh, we, pray, we, we just trust that you'll tell somebody that you did that. You could even fill out one of those high cards and mark down that you decided to trust Jesus. For the rest of us, I pray that you'd be encouraged today that God's at work redeeming some of the hardship. I'd love to know who of you in here by raising your hand would say there are hardships and it brings me great hope and joy that God is redeeming those hardships. Would you raise your hand? God's doing something with my hardship. He's going to bring something beautiful because he promises to follow through on his plan. And if he does it with a redeemer, I know he does it for and with the redeemed. God, thank you for stirring up our church family. We look forward to all the joy of singing about all of the ways that you've blessed us, overflowing. And we sing this together in joy, and we sing in Jesus' name. Would you stand? We're going to sing together, and then um, I'll come back and make sure we know what the last instructions are.